Thank you for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. For those who haven't yet heard, we've finally made our move into our new home in central Missoula. We'd love to see you Sunday mornings at 2010 3rd Avenue West and hope you're blessed by this online resource. I'm so thankful to be here today and we get to talk this morning about why do we sing? Why do we sing at church? Do you have a favorite song? You probably do. You know all the words, you know every vocal inflection. That's what makes it good, right? Every nuance, every sound, the sound of fingers moving against guitar strings and uh, the sound of uh, the driving foundation of the bass, the soaring intensity of an organ, the intimacy of a solo piano. It's burned in your mind. You've been inspired by the vulnerability or maybe the confidence in a vocal performance. The poetry of a lyric has captivated your imagination and a melody has now become timeless to you because you've heard it a thousand times, you've sung it in the shower and you've blasted it to keep yourself awake in the car, right? You've got a favorite song. I have a follow-up question. Is it that good? Is it really that good? Could you sing it forever? Do you imagine that one day you might grow tired of it? This morning, we're continuing our Some Assembly Required series where we look at the things that we do at church when we gather together. And today, we're looking at the question, why do we sing? We worship God in all sorts of ways. Why is singing one of them? And put simply, it's because the gospel of Jesus has given us something worth singing about for eternity. We've been given a redemption song that we can sing forever to the praise of his glorious grace, and we won't get tired of it. Thinking deeply and rightly about the gospel, the salvation of our souls from sin and death through the shed blood of our Savior Jesus, thinking rightly about this, it stirs our affections to action, and it produces songs of adoration, confession, assurance, thanksgiving, petition, instruction, and blessing. And when we sing together as a church, you know, for a moment, our eter- internal, emotional, and spiritual life, it's uh, uh, manifested, <laughs> and our whole congregation is united around a singular act proclaiming beautiful words in a beautiful way because we have seen the beauty of our Savior. As we consider why we sing and live worshipful lives today, we're going to see three things. Uh, Why do we sing? We sing to savor and enjoy the gospel together. We sing to encourage one another and help one another grow in faith through the gospel And we sing to demonstrate the power of the gospel to each other and to the watching world. And once more, here's our primary text for today. Colossians 3, 16 to 17. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A couple of weeks ago, I had the chance to go to a restaurant in town for the first time, always exciting. It was called 1889. I know I'm late. 
to the party. Uh, it's in a cool, historic building downtown. It has dim lighting and high prices and steak, right? So I'd heard. I hadn't gone yet. And my parents got Jessica and I a gift certificate, and they offered to watch our kids, and they gave us a much-needed date night, so we didn't even take them to the porch. We just opened the doors, our kids ran out, and we went. So I ordered my steak, and it is perfect. It's so good. Grass-fed beef from a local rancher, like go Montana. It was so good. It was perfectly marbled with the right amount of fat so it won't dry out. It was perfectly cooked, perfectly seared. All those juices were not getting out. They were right there in the middle. It was so good. It was beautiful, right? All by itself. It was beautiful. But those who prepared the meal didn't just serve me the perfect steak. They seasoned it perfectly with salt and pepper and a red wine demi-glace, which I'm not sure I'm saying right. But the steak was perfect, but the experience I had with it was elevated by the seasoning. The steak was perfect, but the salt helped me to savor it. And this helps to illustrate our first point for today. As we think about why we sing, we sing to savor and to enjoy the gospel. Savor is an interesting word, doesn't come up a lot, kind of feels gross, like one of those words like moist where people don't like to say it. But but like savor, savor. When we worship and sing together, we savor the gospel like we're at a family meal. We roll truth and beauty around in our mouths. We feel it on our tongues. We explore with our senses its goodness. Psalm 34, 8 invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good. And singing the story of the gospel gives us an opportunity to do just that. Now, in the first part of our text today, uh, we're given the passive-sounding command, let. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And with such a small text today, every word matters. And so I want to take a minute to help us think deeply and richly about what we're being asked to do. I want to savor let for a moment. I promise it's not as passive as you think. And if we look back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter one, we see that the first command that God gives in all creation is let. And God said, let there be light. When the word let leaves the mouth of our God, light and space and time, the universe, the heavenly bodies, our planet, the land, the sea, and the creatures that inhabit both of them. They burst into existence. Humanity itself begins with a let. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So back to our text. What do we want to have happen with all this power of let Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let means to allow. Allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. Do everything you can to not get in the way of Christ's word dwelling in you richly, deeply, joyfully. Let means make. Make the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Take action. Read the scriptures. Pray with vulnerability. Gather with God's people. 
Make it dwell in you richly. Let means cause. And now you who are made in the image of God, you cause the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. Cause it to happen through the conscious remembering of the word of Christ every day. And this brings us to an important question. What is the word of Christ that we are letting dwell in us richly? It's the gospel. The good news that Jesus, by shedding his blood and dying in our place, has done everything required to save sinners and restore us to God. When we were hopeless and helpless and incapable of saving ourselves or pleasing God because of our sin, God in his mercy sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin. And more than that, he's deposited into every believer his righteousness. And now as believers gathered before God, it is not only as if we had never sinned, but it is if we had perfectly obeyed. And this eternal inheritance of everlasting life in God's kingdom that is ours in Christ, it's sealed by the Holy Spirit of God when we respond to the gospel of Jesus through faith and believing. And the current English word worship It finds its root in an earlier English word, worthship, kind of funny to say, worthship. I think I know why we changed it. Uh, And we sing our praises to God when we gather together because he's worthy of it. We ascribe worth when we worship. The gospel is beautiful and it is worth savoring and enjoying together just as the seasoning helped me to savor the steak I had and it brought out what was good about it so that I could experience what was already there in a richer way, the songs that we sing help us to savor the gospel and they cause the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. The gospel is beautiful all by itself and the songs that we sing help us to see that beauty more clearly. And we savor and enjoy the gospel in two ways. We do this by adorning the gospel with beautiful melodies. And we do this by joyfully participating in response to God's grace. And so one of the ways we savor the gospel is by adorning it with beautiful melodies. Let's look again at uh, the whole of verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so by adorning the already beautiful gospel with beautiful melodies, we create the opportunity to let our hearts feel what our heads know. Words and phrases are stretched out in their harmonic rhythm, giving us time to think and meditate on the ideas and themes of Scripture. Uh, Musical notes, they descend into the tomb where Jesus was buried or into the depths of our sin that we confess together and they ascend with Christ as he rises from the dead, raising us to new life with him. Okay, so let's try this out with a song that we sing here. In Christ alone, this is the third verse. These words are beautiful. So I want to read it first and then I want us to sing it. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. 
Then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave, he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. It's good. It's real, it's real good. <laughs> it could be better. Uh, uh, for one thing, we could uh, make it exponentially better by combining our forces here. And so uh, this is actually the tuning fork that Tyler talked about uh, last Sunday. I feel weird having a prop up here, but it's useful, like I promised. So I'm going to do this so that this is not awful, okay? So, Let's sing it together. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Bring it up. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Nice. You guys sound good. So let's think about this verse. Think about the phrasing, the words that the song hangs on structurally, the movement of the melody, where it goes down and where it rises. What's the highest note? These are all important. And this makes us feel and understand these words that can just become rote in background. When we adorn the gospel, with beautiful melodies, we make it easier to not only remember its message, but to remember the effect of its message on our hearts. And we can take it with us wherever we go. We can sing the gospel to ourselves wherever we are and whenever the Spirit reminds us of our need for it. Paul and Silas were imprisoned for sharing the good news of Jesus, and they still had a song to sing. Whether we're at weddings or funerals, our songs keep the gospel near and clear. And gospel songs belong in our homes too. Uh, we can start. Uh, we can sing to start our times in prayer. We can sing to our children to quiet and to comfort their hearts with the truth of God's love for us. Songs and melodies help to keep the truth of God's word at the ready in our minds. A couple of years back, uh, somebody in our church thanked me for introducing the song Shine Into Our Night. And she let me know that she'd been singing it as a lullaby to her baby. And this is a song that I think of as a song of confession. It seemed to me at first to maybe be an odd choice for a lullaby. But upon further reflection, I realized that this mom was discipling her child from infancy in the knowledge that Christ is our only refuge from sin. How beautiful is that? Do you know it well enough to sing it in your home? One more time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
We are not what we should be. We haven't sought what we should seek. We've seen your glory, Lord, and looked away. Our hearts are bent, our eyes are dim. Our finest works are stained with sin. And emptiness has shadowed all our ways. So Jesus Christ, shine into our night. Drive our dark away until your glory fills our eyes. Jesus Christ, Shine into our night and bind us to your cross where we find life. Adorning the gospel with beautiful, singable melodies helps us to carry it and the truth of it in our hearts wherever we go. The story of the gospel is beautiful and it is easier to comprehend that beauty when your lungs are literally resonating with the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Another way that we savor and enjoy the gospel together, causing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly is by joyfully participating in response to God's grace. You know, in studying for this sermon, I realize that there are over 400 references of singing to the Lord in the Bible. And there are 50 direct commands to sing. And the largest book of the Bible is the Psalms, the songbook. God himself sings. In Zephaniah 3.17, the scriptures say, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. It's good to make it all the way through your Bible. When else are you going to get to Zephaniah? (laughs) And again, Jesus sings and worships the Father after the Passover meal on the night that he was betrayed. How amazing would that have been to have been in the presence of, I promise Jesus is a much better worship leader than I am. And God in his splendor, in his justice, in his loving kindness, in his majesty, simply by the nature of who he is, he is worthy of all adoration and praise and glory and honor forever. He is worthy of the elevated language of poetry. He is worthy of the fanfare of instruments to herald and proclaim his glory. He is worthy of our songs. But for all of the perfections of the Godhead, the gospel of Jesus is the crown jewel. I want to look earlier in Colossians, at Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In another letter, Paul writes in Philippians 2, 6 through 11, and we see how this preeminence of Jesus and his work affects our worship of God. It says, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. We worship the Son in the Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Our worship of Jesus in the Spirit to the glory of God the Father is what makes us Christians. The good news of Jesus is really good. (laughs) We haven't only been given the command to sing, sing, we've been given a reason to sing. We haven't only been given a command to shout for joy, we've been given a reason to shout for joy. The songs that we sing, they're not merely truth delivery vehicles. They are meant to be beautiful. They are meant to stir our affections. Responding rightly to the gospel requires having right affections for it. And our songs help us express and experience right affections. And God in his grace has given us a people to respond with. Of all the instruments that you see here, the most important instrument in the church is the congregation. It's not the guitar. It's not the piano. If the church was reduced to a sound, it would be the sound of congregational singing. And one day we will worship with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. But today we worship with people from all over Missoula, Lolo, Florence, Stevensville, Arlie, Alberton, and even sometimes Superior. Hi, Paul. Paul's watching online today, so that's really funny. Uh, What a gift that we can all come together from so many different places. And yet with one voice, we worship Jesus for all that he's done for us. God has redeemed for himself a people. And when we sing together and joyfully respond to the gospel, we demonstrate that we are a part of the people that God has redeemed. Today, if you're here, and you've grown up thinking that singing and worship is not for you, I want you to know that you are missing out. Our singing is part of our response to God's grace. Singing is a part of your ministry to your fellow church members. And singing is for you, that the word of Christ might dwell richly in you. 
And those who sing, they sing because of what Christ has done. We don't offer our praise to get something from God. We sing because of what we've already received. And I want to implore you, join the church in singing. You've been commanded to sing, but you've been given a reason to sing. You're surrounded by people who have been given a reason to sing. And those who gather around Jesus in his new kingdom will sing. Don't wait for that day. Sing now. Psalm 146, verses one through two says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh my soul, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Don't just participate. Join the psalmist. Sing full-throated. Christ is worthy of our worship. And you are free to joyfully sing because your joy is found in Christ. We're not singing in response to what the band is doing. We sing in response to what Jesus has done at the cross. And God, who rejoices over you with singing, wants you to join in his song. And this leads into our second point for today as we think about why we sing, and that is to encourage and help one another grow in faith through the gospel. Colossians 3.16 encourages us to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It also says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Can songs teach and admonish us and help us to grow? I used to be a counselor at a Christian camp uh, in New Hampshire, and my, my role was to work with the very, very young children. And so, like, guests would come up for the weekend. They would stay. They would listen to a speaker, and I would hang out with the kids and make Fruit Loop necklaces with yarn and tell felt board stories and things like that. And I was Mr. Jonathan back then. <laughs> we used to sing a lot of songs. We'd sing all the time. Uh, Tick-tock, hear the clock, it's clean-up time, it's clean-up time. Right, that's a good one if you haven't learned that one. Or, this is the way we wash our hands, wash our hands. This has taken on a whole new meaning now, right? <laughs> it like lives rent-free in my head now. <laughs> um, how about this one? Uh, be careful, little mouths, what you say. Oh, be careful, little mouths, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down below. Well, be careful, little mouths, what you say on Facebook. <laughs> Songs can teach us and help us and encourage us and warn us. Uh, here at Sovereign Hope, we would say that our worship ministry is one of the primary teaching ministries of the church. Maybe that surprises you. But have you ever thought about how much you've learned about God, not through preaching or Bible study, but through the songs we sing? In order to respond rightly to God and what he's done, you need to know about him and what he is like. And the songbook of our church is our theology class. Our songs are regularly teaching us about God's power, his might, his glory, his attributes, and his character we sing about God's trustworthiness and his goodness, his posture towards us and how we should respond. 
to his grace. And they've taught us about the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They teach us that God is holy and set apart, that we are sinners in great need, that Jesus has solved our greatest problem, and that we've been sent to share this good news of grace to the ends of the earth. And they teach us that our lives are a vapor, that God's kingdom is eternal, and they invite us to adore, behold, and worship Jesus in the spirit to the glory of God the Father. And if you hang around here long enough, you will learn all of those things through the songs that we sing. Everyone is a theologian. Your theology is just the sum of your thoughts about God. And we want to help each other be good theologians. We want to help each other be biblical theologians. And Sunday morning is the greatest discipleship group that we have, and you're all in on it. And when we gather to get today and sing to one another, we are all students, and we are all teachers. The word worship in church world, it gets tossed around a lot as a synonym for music or for singing. As we've talked about today, we worship God with our singing. We do. Um, Christ is indeed the object of Christian worship. But Christ is not the only audience. And when it comes to times of gathered worship, I want to challenge the notion that we sing for an audience of one. I heard that all the time when I was growing up. I grew up in church, so you hear things like that. I saw how it shaped the church. I saw how they worshiped because of that idea. We turn the lights down low, we turn the volume up loud, and we did it in essence so that people could feel anonymous in church. We wanted them to have what we called a worship experience. Since your worship is for an audience of one, we tried to help you forget about all these other people here. (laughs) And the thinking was that if the lights were down low, you would be more inclined to have a powerful and a personal experience between you and God. That you wouldn't be self-conscious or concerned about other people looking at you. That you could disappear in the background. And if the music was loud, then maybe you'd feel more comfortable singing. After all, the music would be so loud that no one would be able to hear you sing. So it wouldn't matter if you're not confident. Just go for it and we'll drown you out. And the problem is it's somebody who has been a part of leading worship services since 1997. Oh my gosh, I'm so old. Um, uh, So the opposite happened. The opposite of what we wanted to have happen, happened. What we thought would lead to life-giving and powerful times of worship actually discouraged participation. It increased isolation in the body, and many in the church simply became spectators of a highly produced musical performance. They enjoyed worship, but they left it to the professionals. And the issue is that we do not sing to an audience of one, We sing to God, and we sing to each other about him. This is easy to see. This is plain. 
I have a couple of lines from songs that I want to share with you. Here's a song we sing, Look and See. I'm not gonna sing or make you sing anymore. You're absolved. Here we go. Look and see. It says, Oh, look and see our God and celebrate the power of the cross and the empty grave. And now we're free. Let the redeemed lift up your heads. Oh, look and see our God. Come behold the wondrous mystery, says. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the king. He the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. A mighty fortress is our God. It says a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And these are just three examples. The list goes on and on. The primary audience we're singing to is not God, but one another. Teaching one another in all wisdom. Singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So this is why we have the lights up. This is why we designed the room with these sound panels. Why we have the volume set where we do. We want you to see one another. We want you to hear one another. Even as we eventually bring more instruments back into our worship service, like the drum kit, the congregation remains the primary instrument of the church. And when we sing together, we are reminded that Christ has redeemed a people The young, the older, the married, the single, those who are wrestling with kids for the entire service. We all encourage one another and we help one another grow as we collectively testify to God's glory in the gospel. We are connected to one another in Christ and hearing you sing helps me worship. It is our ministry to God and to one another Seeing you worship helped me worship. And I'm sure it's the same for you. Singing to God and about him is not the worship team's ministry to you. It's our ministry. Let's move on to our last uh, point for today. Why do we sing? We sing to demonstrate the power of the gospel to each other, and to the watching world. Our passage today in context is part of the Apostle Paul's letter to a church in Colossae. And we just spoke last week about the power of simply reading God's words together. And so as we consider this last point, it's a good time to zoom out. And and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from the beginning of Colossians 3 and let us see the context for this passage. So follow along on the screens there or in your Bible. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices 
and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we gather together over the years, our times of corporate worship have an effect. Little by little, inch by inch, we put off and we put on. As we see each other grow in joy and faithfulness, knowing each other's stories of success and failure, we thank God for one another. We thank God that we're still singing together a little bit wiser and with a deeper faith that's been tested and proved. In October, I will be uh, 39 years old. And that means that 2022 uh, is as far away from 1983 when I was born as 1983 is from 1948. Time moves fast. Faster than you might think. In light of that light speed that time seems to be traveling at, I often joke with my kids that I'd like them to stop growing up. In my own head, I'm still pretty close to the person I was 14 years ago when I got married. But my oldest will be a teenager this year, and my youngest will be five. I joke with them about wanting them to stop growing up, but it's a joke. I love watching them grow up. I love watching them mature and become independent. I love watching them figure out what they're great at and watching them grow in their gifts and their talents. I love watching them grow in their faith as they desire to read the Bible and pray when things are difficult and uh, confess their sin and ask for help. What is more encouraging than seeing someone grow in their faith? And over the years here at the local church, we will watch each other grow. And we won't just watch each other grow, we will help each other grow. The wealth of testimonies in this church of God's grace is staggering. And whether it's the things we've been through separately or the things we've been through together, God is using all of it. He's making us a people people who put off malice and anger and sexual immorality, people who put on kindness and humility and patience and love, people who can do that because of the song of thankfulness that God has put in our hearts. I mean, just the fact that we're in this room today is a miracle. Uh, raise your hand if you would consider yourself a native Montanan. Raise your hand if you came here from somewhere else. 
And yet we're all here in this place and time. Think about all the different experiences in this room, the way that people were raised, the baggage, the trauma, the anxieties that we all have. Some of us were saved in good churches. And some of us were saved, not, not going to lie, things got weird. <laughs> We've got blue-collar workers. We've got tech sector workers. We've got doctors and lawyers and teachers and students and everything in between. We have people from all walks of life and every socioeconomic background attending. And while Montana itself is not a very racially diverse state, I'm grateful for a church that supports missions efforts around the world and is ready to welcome people from every race and every nation. What stands and unites such a varied cross-section of people is the gospel that we sing together each Sunday. Nothing unites like the gospel. And God in his wisdom has brought so many people to it. So many different people to it. People who have nothing else in common besides it. And together we testify to its power, its truthfulness, and its loveliness. To sing side by side with one another helps us grow in our faith. But it's also a powerful testimony to the world. And there's so much division in the world. And the idea that anything unites us it seems like it's a far-off dream. Yet in Colossians 3.11, like we just read, Paul writes, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. What can unite us all? It's Christ and his gospel. The church has this gift. And those who come in and experience the unity we have in Christ, to those who come in, it is a winsome and attractive thing. I had said that the church doesn't sing to an audience of one. Instead, we sing to God and to one another about him. But there's actually a third audience. We sing to those who don't yet believe. And as powerful as it is for Christians to sing redemption songs side by side across all the divisions that could exist, to the watching world, it almost seems too good to be true. If you're here today and you want to know more about how this Jesus we sing about has changed everything for the people in this room, I'd encourage you to talk with one of the pastors, one of the elders, any of the people you saw on stage, actually, you know what? Talk to anyone. Talk to anyone in this room because they've all been changed by the power of the gospel. You can talk to me. You don't have to. We've all been changed. Every person who's a believer has, been, has their life just dramatically changed. It's what causes us to sing. Church, while some will come from the outside into our midst, to see this peculiar choir that we have. Many will not. And as we close, I want us to consider how this passage ends in Colossians 3.17. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I said earlier that in church world, worship has become synonymous with music. It's just not true, though. We've talked a lot today about 
how our songs help us to experience and savor the beauty of the gospel. How they help us remember it and preach it to ourselves. How we've been commanded to sing and been given a reason to sing. How our singing unifies us, disciples us, and evangelizes to a world in need of hope. But the songs that we sing are lived out in our words and our deeds, in our homes and in our city. Redeemed people bring redemption wherever they go. And may the songs that we sing here together be reflected in every word and deed, in every thought and sacrifice. May our spiritual act of worship be giving our lives back, all that we are and all that we do, as living sacrifices to the one who laid his life down for us first, so that we might sing an eternal song of his grace. Worshiping the Son in the Spirit to the glory of God the Father with thankfulness in our hearts. Let's pray together. Father God, we are just so grateful for all that you've done in the gospel today. God, you have changed everything. Lord, you have uh, brought us near when we were far off. You've adopted us as if we were all firstborn sons, able to receive the inheritance of Christ's righteousness. Lord, you have uh, given us a picture of who you are in your word that is the most beautiful thing that we have ever seen. Lord, I thank you for the gift of songs, Lord, the, the ones that have carried us through the years, uh, the, the ones that are new, the ones that will even be written in this place. God, I thank you for the way that they help us to uh, open our eyes and see clearly the truths we say we believe. God, I pray that uh, through our songs, God, that you would continue to teach us and change us and conform us to the image of your son. And it's in his name we pray, amen.